Hello, Dragonfly Nation. This is the Canadian Bushcraft Podcast with your host, Caleb Musgrave. This episode is 142 of the podcast, and it's all about the Axe Revisited. That's right, folks. We're getting back into Axe Talk. So sit back. Stay tuned. To know the landscape is to open up a door To feel deeper connected than you've ever felt before we know that you will love this podcast. So shut your mouth and listen to Canadian Bushcraft. Hey folks, this is your Know Your Tree segment for this episode of the podcast. In this episode segment, we're talking about the choke cherry shrub. Uh, better known in scientific name being Prunus virginiana. It has a lot of other common names. Uh, bitterberry is one of them. Chokecherry. Pimina is another name for it. There's a whole lot of different names for it across the, its native range. Uh, the Anishinaabemowin word for it is one of the hardest ones for me to pronounce, and I don't know why. Uh, it has always stymied me every time I try to say it. So I'm going to say it as slow as I can to make sure both I and you understand what I'm saying. Asasawe Mina Gawanch. Asasawe Mina Gawanch is the full name of it. Asasawe Mina Gawanch. Ga being like the long double A system in the vowel system of Nishnabimon. And I don't know why that one's so hard for me to say. I have to look at it every time if I want to pronounce it, and I still have a hard time pronouncing it correctly. Uh, language speakers from around Nishinaabe ter uh, territory are probably rolling their eyes right now or chuckling at my butchery of the word. Asasawe mina gawanj. 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 I don't know why that's so hard for me to say. Anyways, Prunus virginiana, the choke cherry tree or shrub, is a medium sized shrub that is common in most provinces and territories in Canada, excluding the Yukon. Nunavut and Labrador. It is also found as far south as northern Mexico, though it has skipped most of the southeastern United States. This is a fascinating one to me because I consider this like a tree of the north. When you go up into the boreal forest, especially when you're used to the central Ontario region that I'm in, uh, we are in a mixed hardwood plains. We're in the northern Carolinian forest. We have over 250 species of trees growing here. When you get up into places like north of Wawa, Manitowoc, up into Timmins, up into James Bay, there's about 40 species of trees and shrubs in total. And the majority of them are shrubs. Uh, very few are big trees. Pine, spruce, uh, birch, poplar maybe, willow to an extent, but even then most of the willows I've seen in the north are shrubs. This one in particular is very common in the north and I've always kind of related it as a boreal or northern tree or shrub but to know that it grows in northern mexico and most of the united states as well i find very fascinating to me because it just seems like way out of its range but it's not that's actually its native range choke cherry is a member of the cherry family very closely related to prunus serotina the black cherry uh, they're two of our main cherry trees that are native to my region to my part of ontario and there are other cherries that grow out here, pin cherry and such, uh, but they are all not really common around here. The majority being black cherry as the tree, choke cherry as the shrub. 
And this shrub can get quite large. Uh, it's a medium-sized shrub. I wouldn't describe it as a true tree like a maple or an oak uh, because its average size is between one and six meters. Uh, sometimes I've heard getting as high as 10 meters, which is absurd to me. I've also heard that the trunk can get as thick as a foot. Uh, I've never seen a choke cherry that big in my life. I've never seen it. Um, not saying that doesn't happen. I've just never seen that. I would love to see a, a choke cherry that big. Uh, choke cherry trees are going to have those classic oval-shaped leaves, that slightly uh, striated bark that has classic to the to the cherry family. When you look at choke cherry bark, it's cherry bark. It's flat-out cherry bark, and it's going to have these droops that can get upwards of about a centimeter and a half in diameter. Uh, and they can be quite plentiful in the right season. This year we harvested six gallons off of three trees. So that's averaging two gallons per tree of ripe choke cherries. The tree in total, the shrub in total, has a lot of different uses. The bark was used for certain things. The fruits were used for certain things. The wood was used for certain things. And so I want to break those down piece by piece. The most famous one being the fruit itself. Now, choke cherries are, just like many other cherries, toxic. The toxicity is based off of uh, types of cyanide. When, uh, especially when the leaves are wilting or when that's found inside the pit of the fruit. Uh, this toxin of cyanide, along with other chemical compounds of astringent com uh, compounds, causes your mouth to pucker, hence the name choke cherry. It kind of makes it hard to swallow. And so you want to remove those toxins whenever possible. Harvesting only the ripest of fruit is a big benefit, uh, making sure that you remove any leaf matter in your harvest, all that kind of stuff. Interestingly enough, though, the traditional process of the fruit by Anishinaabek people, Mashkegwak people, Nahewak, Lakota, Nakota, uh, Dene, uh, Gwich'in, wherever you look, who had these choke cherry shrubs around them harvesting the fruit, they were all processed pretty much the exact same way. And that was pit and all were put into a mortar and pestle or a botagan or a corn pounder and were crushed, completely pulverized, including the pits, which are where you find the cyanide. Then they were formed into cakes that were quite thin, about two to three centimeters thick at most, and left in the sun. Now, the cool thing about choke cherry, which makes it such an amazing fruit to have for this, is the fact that it has these abilities to bond and bind. It has the right amount of pectin in the fruit, including in the pits, which is one of the reasons they kept the pits, to make it bind and form these little cakes that some people call choke cherry pemmican, which gets into the confusion that people think that indigenous people packed their, ch their pemmican with choke cherries. Not exactly. It was its own thing. It was its own dish. And when dried in the sun, most of the cyanide would evaporate with the water content. Some cyanide would be left behind, and that was simply uh, treated by cooking those cakes on the coals of a fire or the hot ash of a fire before consumption. And I've had it this way on multiple occasions, and it is absolutely delicious. Um, it's toasty, it's smoky, it's crunchy on the outside when you cook it that way, and then it's gooey and sweet on the inside. You can add maple sugar to these cakes to make it a little sweeter because they are quite tart. It is a sour, sour cherry. Um, my cat's yelling at me even though she already got fed. All that being said, it, it is quite interesting that the pits were left in. 
And that leads to another flavor, and that is a slight almond flavor, which is coming from the cyanide. There is going to be some remnant cyanide left. When cooked properly, it's broken down completely, and it's com- whatever's left behind is just the flavor. There is nothing lethal left inside of those choke cherry cakes. It was processed in other ways. They would take the pits completely out and take just the juices and, and pulp and mix that with blueberries, mix that with raspberries, currants, whatever other fruit they could have. And those could also be dried because there's still that pectin content that's helping firm it up and make it solid like a jelly so you can dry it in the sun. There's also the production of wine and juices made with choke cherries. Choke cherry wine is very popular. Choke cherry jellies, choke cherry jams are very popular in the modern homesteading movement and foraging movements. Uh, but the traditional way of grinding it pit and all, forming it into cakes, drying those in the sun and storing them as it was, is a great way to use them with very low technology. You don't have to use blenders. You don't have to use uh, cheesecloths or anything like that or jelly bags to remove the pits. You crush the pits up as fine as you can. They give a bit of a crunch to the cake. They're a little chewier because of that. Makes them more like a, a trail food than just a fruit leather. You know what I mean? And that's where we get into this like interesting dialogue of why I'm talking about the choke cherry and why this is such an important one to talk about. Um, first and foremost, out of all the native cherries, these are the fruits that are the easiest to get. On a black cherry, the majority of the fruit are way up in the canopy. They're way up at the top of the trees. And cherry trees, black cherries, can get quite large. Meaning the likelihood of you eating black cherries in the woods is very, very low. It's possible if you hit the tree at the right time of year with a log. uh, Or if you're very adept at climbing. But most of the time, the birds get them all before you get them. In comparison, again, three Choke cherry bushes this past August provided me six gallons of choke cherries. We had to use vacuum bags and squeeze them down real small and process them all and freeze them so that we could preserve them for other projects later. Uh, I'll be making some choke cherry cakes again this coming week uh, when it's a little bit warmer out. We've got a bit of a warm spell happening this week in December, but. Regardless, there's this fascinating relationship of being able to get access to a large volume of food at once. At one time, in the boreal forest of Canada, the United States, and Eurasia, where they had their own varieties of fruits like this, the choke cherry in North America was the main plant food source in the boreal forest. Not blueberries. A lot of people think it's blueberries because we just go out and pick a bunch of blueberries and sell them on the sides of roads and stuff. And you see them all over the place for sale. They were used and they were consumed on, in great volume by Anishinaabek people, Meshkegwa people, Diné people, everywhere they found them. But choke cherry was so much more because it could be easily preserved and you can get a large volume of it from very small amounts of, of work. Again, three trees got me six gallons. Each tree could provide two gallons of berries, of fruits, that were much easier to harvest than going around picking blueberries. And so when we talk about efficiency of time and and like efficiency of, of motion, choke cherry harvests are much more efficient than blueberry harvests. And because you can then bulk them and crush them very easily, not have to do a lot of processing, and then just dry them and they can be preserved like that for long periods, you can do the same with blueberries, but you've got to basically make like a fruit roll-up. you got to make like a fruit leather. And that can only be, you know, <laughs> it's it's good, 
but it's not as filling as a fruit cake or a fruit like a, 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 a choke cherry cake or choke cherry pemmican. It's very, very filling that way because it's got the proteins and everything coming from the pits and from the skins. It's a very nutritionally dense fruit that has a high calorie, a high calorie uh, value to it. And so the fruit alone has a lot of uses. The fruit has a great deal of uses. In regards to the bark, chokecherry bark is used for a lot of different stuff. Uh, the fruit was used again, I'm going to mention this fruit again, uh, part of pemmican, but it was also made into its own form of pemmican on its own. Uh, the chokecherry root, the bark from it, can be turned into a concoction by simply steeping it in hot water for a long time. And that was used to deal with stomach problems, uh, cold and fevers, uh, as well as, to a degree, influenza or the, the common flu. The inner bark of the chokecherry was also used along with other plants to make what's referred to as kinikinik. Kinikinik is a smoking mixture that predates tobacco in the north. Um, the mixture of bearberry leaves, the mixture of red osier dogwood bark or cambium with the inner bark of chokecherry mixed with things like sumac leaf or, and be careful with that one because there's a rushiel in all sumac. Uh, a rushiel being the same compound that is found in poison ivy and poison oak. And of course, poison sumac. But also things like mint were used. Uh, different plants of all kinds were mixed into these mixes, chopped up, crushed up, and then dried and preserved as a smoking compound for pipe ceremonies, but also for just pleasure smoking. Uh, I smoked kinikinik for a long time before I started smoking tobacco, and I frequently go back to when I'm trying to quit my smoking habit, which is a dirty, dirty, nasty habit. Don't get into smoking if you don't smoke. Beyond that uh, is the wood. Chokecherry wood is magical. Uh, it's a very tough wood. It's a very, you know, vibrant wood as well. It's a very beautiful looking wood. When I would go to sun dances and Nishnabeg rain dances, one of the options for the pins or pegs used for the piercing portion of the ceremonies, the wood used for those pegs was chokecherry. Uh, I've seen birch bark canoes where they made the tree nails, which are used to lock the uh, cap wood onto the gunnels. Much of the time was made of things like ironwood or hophorn beam, as well as chokecherry, because it's such a tough, tough wood. It is a very strong wood, and it has so many other uses to it. Arrow shafts, uh, if the right size, fishing spears and even bow staves can be made from chokecherry. It's a very dense, strong wood. Uh, very beautiful wood as well. Again, it's one of my favorite woods to work with. We have them propagated all over my property, ranging from a meter tall to, uh, you know, about two to three feet tall to six or seven feet tall the average on my property. Where I go to harvest my choke cherries for fruit because we've been propagating, we haven't been uh, harvesting from ours yet. I only drive maybe a kilometer from my house and we're getting 15 to 18 foot tall shrubs that I can bend over with a rope, just throw a rope up over the branch, over a, a stout part of the trunk or branch, pull that down and step on that rope and the bushels of fruit are right there and I just pick, pick, pick. I use a, what's sometimes referred to as a berry iron or a berry picker for that part. The wood itself being very strong, flexible, I've used it for bows, walking sticks, uh, arrow shafts, 
knife handles. It makes a very nice knife handle, by the way. The inner bark can also be used as a decoction for different things externally. I mentioned the internal concoction, uh, where it's used for stomach problems and influenza and the cold. But on the outside, it can also be used as a stringent foot bath. That's going to help tighten the skin, take care of calluses, take care of blisters, take care of foot maladies of all kinds because it has that high tannin content and that astringency that comes with tannin. So there's not a lot else. Uh, the, our last Know Your Tree segment was quite long in comparison to this. Ecologically uh, minding, uh, it is a very important tree to a lot of birds and mammals. Deer, moose, and elk all browse on the shrub. In the North Country, you'll often find patches of chokecherries that never get over two feet tall because they're just constantly mow, mowed down by elk and caribou and moose and white-tailed deer. Um, black bears consume them in great volume. Birds of all varieties, cedar waxwings, bohemian waxwings, chickadees, all kinds of birds go after those fruit. Uh, all kinds of mammals like rabbits, squirrels, beaver go after the bark and the trunks of the trees and the twigs of the trees. All kinds of value there. They're also the host to many different kinds of butterflies and parasitic in, uh, insects. Parasitic to the tree, of course, not parasitic to us. Uh, so they are part of the ecology. They are host to so many different kinds of moths. That's the one that when I was doing my research for this episode blew me away. It was well over a dozen varieties of moths. Treat this as home. Treat this as the their host. Uh, living off the leaves or putting their eggs on the shrub to grow. So all that said and done, it is one of the most fascinating trees to, uh, to shrubs to come across in the woods. It is a edge habitat shrub. It likes to be in good sunlight. It likes to be near, near water, but it will also grow up on dry land. It's kind of a uh, multifunctional or not necessarily multifunctional but it's a very uh, resilient shrub that can grow in many different climates again northern mexico all the way to the canadian arctic it grows so it's a very very unique tree i've seen it in the mountainous regions of Brit of alberta and wyoming i've seen it in the swamp lands of ontario i've seen it all over the place it really does seem to grow anywhere it wants to damn well grow it is a great tree to introduce into your gardens into your homestead into your uh, food forest projects and initiatives especially because it's not just food for us but food to many other wildlife as well as helping bring in pollinators to its fruit uh, to its flowers which encourages pollinators into the garden in general and so this episode's tree was the choke cherry the american choke cherry prunus virginiana uh, I'm not going to try and say the Anishinaabemowin name again because it's t almost quarter to three in the morning and I'm very tired while recording this episode, uh, this episode's segment. But the choke cherry is something to learn, something to love, something to work with. Uh, they take very readily to cuttings. So if you're trying to find a way to get them at an affordable rate onto your property, pruning shears and rooting hormone is all you really need to take with you. And then a couple of little, uh, pots or bags full of soil. Uh, sterilized wet sand is a good option if you're starting root cuttings uh, anything like that this is actually a good time of year now in December to do that when the tree is in dormancy go up and take a few of those cuttings dip them into rooting hormone compounds and then stick them into some sterilized sand that's wet or damp and then put them away in the fridge for the winter let them stay in their dormancy and then come spring take them out into the sun let them start to warm up in those containers and you'll start to see your work come back in droves as roots start to burst all over those cuttings and you can plant them all over your property. 
I found them growing in clay soils, sandy soils, uh, loamy soils. They don't do great on really rocky terrain. They do need some organic matter in there or humus in there, in their uh, root systems. But you can always, if you have little crevices on, if you're living up on the shield, you can take those crevices, fill them with compost, and throw some choke cherries in there, and they will grow just fine. They do require a good amount of water and decent humidity and heat if you want to get a lot of fruit, but that's not too hard to do if you know what you're doing, especially when it comes down to water on the homestead, which we've talked about in the past. So check them out, look at them, study them, harvest from them, make use of their fruit, make use of their wood, make use of their roots and their bark. They have a lot of beautiful uses. It's a very versatile shrub that benefits us, the ecosystem and everything in total. So Get out there and know your choke cherries. And now for the rest of our episode. Okay. Are we recording? Yeah, we're recording. We're recording. We can chop this off. Oh, we're keeping this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey there, Dragonfly Nation. This is the Canadian Bushcraft Podcast with your host, Caleb Musgrave, and Ryan the Adventure Guy Moffat. This is episode 142 of the podcast, and this one is all about the Axe Revisited. So for those of you who have been listening to all of our podcasts, you know that episode four of the podcast was all about the Axe. It was all about choosing the right kind of tools for the job. What do we like in axes? Things like that. Uh, we are recording today in the homestead. This is the first time Ryan and I have actually sat down and recorded in the off-grid cabin, in the off-grid home. I've done one episode on my own here back in October, but this is our first time doing it together. And with that comes the chaos that is the dogs and the cat that are in this house. So you'll probably hear animals moving around. There's sushi right now, moving on to the bed with Ryan. <laughs> slumping down all begrudgingly because she doesn't like the fact that we're not paying attention to her. Welcome to recording in small spaces. With that all said, we are here to talk about the axe once more, talk about other subjects of axemanship, talk about other subjects of axe materials that we've been observing over the last few years since we made that episode. For example, polymers versus wood for handles, uh, different ways of fixing heads onto handles. Uh, I would love to talk about the Wooks Axe this episode because that happened after okay. we did the Axe revisit uh, the Axe episode, Axe Me a Question episode four. Yeah. So we got a few different things we want to talk about in this. I'm gonna probably pass over to Ryan because he's the one that's been really talking about the idea of this one first about polymer versus wood. So that's, yeah, this whole idea is typical. I'll go through and I'll jot down notes of like ideas. I'll get ideas from people who listen to the podcast. Mm-hmm. So this one has been sitting in my Samsung notes for the past year almost. At least. Pretty much. Talk about just like walking into your hardware store. And these days you've got everything space age. Yeah. Polymer handles. You've got different ways they would fix to the head. Mm-hmm. You've got your classic wood. Yep. And you've got ones that are pretty much all metal like your S-wings and yes. all yeah. that. So. There's a lot of choices and it's kind of a headache sometimes where people are like, which one do I, do I trust the plastic? Mm -hmm. Do I go with the classic wood? Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of options. So, and even in that category of like the polymers and the synthetics, you have like the splitting mall handles that we grew up with where you have like that really like almost Fisher price looking plastic yeah. red or blue handle. Just that like roto molded. Yeah. Of and it's got like a fiber feel. fiberglass rod core and that's it. Yeah. And like those things, first few swings, they feel good. They don't give you a lot of vibration, but then, you know, down the road, you're like, Oh, the fiberglass rod broke. And now it's just like a noodle. Yeah. <laughs> this head just kind of jostling around on a hinge mm-hmm. on the top 
all the way to the modern Fisker's axes, which have also been doing some interesting changes we've recently noticed. Yeah. Um, what is the real values of polymer handles like that? When I look at the polymer handles and whenever I see them out in the wild, mm -hmm. I typically see them in a place where you can't afford to have a break in a handle. Fair. Like, especially like the Fiskers. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of Fiskers. I'm not sure if that's just a marketing thing. They're just throwing them out like hotcakes to whatever people are on TV for Life Below Zero and all yep. that kind of stuff. But typically people that aren't within the reach of getting a brand new handle or yeah. replacing it on just the fly. Yeah. As well as you're beating it up. Mm -hmm. I typically see it as the modern homesteading. Yeah. Tool. Very just much so. Like those hollow Fiskars handles is the one I'm kind of focusing on right now, yep. like compared to like a Garant or something like yep. that, where you see your typical kind of just really cheap plastic handles. Yeah. But stuff like that is, it's just, you th look at it the first time and you see it's a hollow polymer handle and you're like, this thing is going to break real quick. Yeah. But just the benefits of the hollow handle, just vibration <clears throat> reduction, you're not going to get, you overstrike a little bit and yep. then you get that feeling. You feel like you're in a Ooh. cartoon where you're, just, you're vibrating across <laughs> the room. Yeah. But that's the benefit. You don't really sure. feel that whatsoever. And we've, that mall of yours that we yeah. have, we have like the big heavy duty Fiskers. Yeah, it's one of the, I think mall. it's either the 10 or the 12 pounder. Yeah. And it's got one of their ISO core handles. So it's not a hollow one. It's got yeah. a bunch of polymer layers and laminates inside it are meant for shock reduction. Yeah. And I think we've put it through at least 20 cords of wood now. I feel we took down that whole willow tree that's true for rocking yeah. down the street yeah a couple yeah years back i completely forgot i tried and to i was block using that, that all day long just cutting like multiple cords of wood yeah. out of that one willow tree i just keep them with the sugar bush you're right outside of the sugar yeah. bush we use it just sugar as much bush, if not more clearing trees yep we're using it for the locust here yeah so. it's one of the only things that splits the damn locust around here yeah it's got a heavy heavy enough head and mm. just an indestructible handle there's like wrappings around it that have kind of frayed off and yes. fallen off over the years i've had that one a little under a decade now i think i got it in 2015 yeah so it's probably about eight years old and in that time like we've put it through the ringer and mm. like it hasn't thank you tracker he's jumping up on the table with us he's making himself comfortable and he's about to use my pillow but <laughs> yeah he's, he's good he's joining yeah, just, just an example of how good these polymer handles can be. Like eight years and just in the sugar wish 20 cords, outside the sugar wish, God knows how much. Mm -hmm. And the worst we've done is we've broken off like a little bit of the um, extra overstrike protection, like neck guard yeah. that they put on it. But the handle's in perfect condition. I was actually using it the other day with uh, our good friend Keith, who bought one because he liked how much yeah. my mom was. And mine's eight years old. His is like maybe six months old. His is like mm -hmm. brand shiny, new looking yeah. nice and clean looking still. And he looks over and goes, you broke the neck guard. I'm like, yeah. He goes, that's not good. I'm like it took eight years and God knows how many cores to break that. And it's still technically attached. We've just shattered the front of it. It doesn't really do much because they handle so strong. Yeah. It's just an anyway. extra step. They added onto it because yeah. there's such a cheap manufacturing process to make. Why not throw it on? Mm -hmm. So like I'm, 
very confident I got at least another 10 to 15 years with that damn tool as it is. Yeah, it's definitely a tool you don't have to worry about over striking. Mm -hmm. I've taken axes out for their first time or yeah. lent them out to someone. And then that fir like a first couple swings and all of a sudden you've got a chip out of the mm -hmm. side of your wooden handle. Well, that was the story I was going to bring up is back i think it was like our very last powwow before the pandemic so 2019 mm -hmm. um i had just hung my kelly works people have heard me talk about this axe it was my baby it still is my baby it's just now in somebody else's possession i don't know who <laughs> somebody walked into a sugar bush and took it i walked off with it on me um i just hung this double bit kelly works michigan pattern uh flint edge axe mm -hmm. which is like one of the best 1950s, 1960s period of axes. Mm -hmm. And I just hung it onto a beaver tooth handle company, which is part of the bigger axe company down, axe handle company down in Tennessee and uh, Kentucky. Beautiful handle, hung it. The grain was perfect. Everything was flawless. Hung it in April, May long weekend, took it up to the Palo to fire keep, split all the wood I needed to actually split because you just really need to split the first initial kindling. Mm-hmm. You don't need all the other as long as the wood is split in the quarters it's a fire it's an endurance it's not a race you're yeah. not getting the most raging fire possible yeah so. just load it up and let it go and uh i did that so i then covered my axe with a tarp because nobody needs to see my axe nobody needs to know where my axe mm -hmm. is and a guy came along later as i was using the washroom and i came back out and watched him swing my axe that he looked for pulled it out and from under the all these tarps found that axe i left them, them all out mm -hmm. no 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 he needed that axe Somehow he knew that axe was there. <laughs> and my nephew who's watching the fires is like, you don't, you shouldn't be touching that. And sure enough, he swings over strikes on the chopping block, missed the wood completely mm -hmm. and cracked it right down the middle. Mm -hmm. And the whole time there's my isocore splitting mall yeah. sitting right beside him that he could have, <laughs> I, I left it out because I knew some jackass was going to come along and want to split wood. Because mm -hmm. every time they see a fire in a wood pile, somebody's got to look for an axe. Yeah. And I left them out the perfect distraction tool the perfect decoy and he didn't bite for it. He went for something else and destroyed my favorite ax handle mm -hmm. on my favorite ax. Yeah. So there's a big, you're right. A big boon on synthetic handles there. It's if you're someone that uses an ax every day, if you're heating your home mm -hmm. with wood, you're using a boiler, you're using anything like that where you're splitting wood on the regular. Yeah. Something like that is worth removing that headache of, one little oversight if you work with novices like we do yep it's the perfect situation i've got the step down from the big wrecking one like you have yep. i've got like the five pounder i think it is i think it is yeah, yeah. you're splitting axe right the fiskers the fiskers yeah. yeah so it's still like a 36 inch handle yeah. hollow yep it's not quite as beefy a handle as the big one like you've got but, but it's still good it's still great it's phenomenal it's for like the guy who's just making a fire here and there so mm -hmm. that's what i use it for totally yeah and it's got a i've noticed on that one it's got a good cheek where it's you could chop with it if you had to yeah but it's really good for splitting yeah because the the bigger one you have is like <laughs> a wrecking sledgehammer it's like a 25 with a big wheel like brick of cheese on the yeah end. <laughs> it's like a 30 degree bevel big wedge <laughs> It's like a splitting wedge on the yeah. The handle it, it's kind of legit thing. what a mall is designed to be. It's yeah. just a it's just a wedge on a you're, you're, you got a wedge and a lever combined. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm sure a lot of the other company like I've never really seen. I've seen a lot of plastic handles 
fare poorly from the weather and UV damage yep. and just sitting around outside all the time and beating the crap. Mm -hmm. The best I've found so far is the Fiskers. That's why we're talking about yep. it, but I'm sure the other ones too oh, do yeah. their job. I believe still has their own version that has a hollow handle or hollow-ish handle. Yeah, It's definitely a synthetic material. Uh, their splitting walls I've played with once or twice and I had nothing to complain about with them. Yeah. Um, I've seen a few others. It's I always go back to those just those like Fisher Price plastic with the rod yeah. in the middle. Those things make me so damn nervous. They're so smooth in the hand that, that you too. don't really feel like you get a good purchase yeah. on it. That it could feel like any little moisture might just slip out of your hand yes. atomically. Yes, yeah, so they don't put a good texturing <clears throat> or anything on, even though the texture that they do have is kind of smooth. Like at least with stuff like your Fisker's big wrecking mm -hmm. one, it does have a rubberized grip, yeah. which also has its drawbacks because yeah. then you can get some hot spots. Totally. Like everything <clears> here <throat> that we're going to talk about, they have their pros and their cons. It's exactly. about what you're going to use it for and exactly. what you can live with the cons being. Totally. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of benefits to those polymers. Mm -hmm. I'm going to always go back to durability is definitely yeah. something I agree with on there. And also... Two degree cost. Yeah. Often those polymer handles, because they can pump them out so quick with the machines they got, mm -hmm. they're cheaper. Yeah. Like a, if I if I had a Fiskers that had a full hickory handle on it, I don't think I'd be getting the same price as what I'm getting for the ones that have polymer handles. And just the replacement costs over yep. the years, if you use it as much as you beat to shit this other one, <laughs> yep. then you're not going to, you're going to have to replace, oh no, new handle. And walk into any hardware store these days and try to find a, good a handle. proper handle that someone yeah. knew what they were doing when they mass produced it. Yeah. It's not happening. <clears throat> I walk into anything here in Canada, Canadian Tire, Home Hardware. Yeah. You're walking into any of them and the Grange is perpendicular. Mm -hmm. It's not even. It's like they're almost <laughs> using end grain. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's just like, cross yeah. cross cutting across me like there's handle material. Just asking the snap in half when you make a good swing on it. Yeah. <laughs> Now, and that's like the bummer is like up until about four or five years back, the best axe handles I found yeah. came out of home hardware. Yeah. They had genuine hickory. The grain was good. The shapes were good. And then sometime in the last five years, every time I go in, I'm just disappointed. I spent a whole hour in Lowe's months yeah. back because we have all the heads that I've been restoring mm -hmm. for axes. And I try to go and find some like decent handles, but... I spent an hour in Lowe's in the garden tools and axe section going over every single axe handle, looking at the grain orientation. None of them yeah. fit the standard. I found one hatchet handle that fit the standard, but then I got it home and it doesn't quite fit any of the hatchet heads that I have. Dang so, it. so I'll have to do some... If, They'll sit around until the right one comes along. Yeah. So. It, it's one of those reasons of like why I learned how to make my own axe handles over the years. Yeah. It's just like I don't want to be burdened by these horrible products. Mm. The only good axe handles I've found in my entire lifetime, I mean like really good, were at Ace Hardware in Wyoming. Yeah. And everywhere else I've gone at Ace Hardware, they were garbage. One of them labeled Hickory. Mm -hmm. And then when I pulled the label off to look at it, or uh, when I went when I bought went to buy the handle, I went to look at the label again. And I realized it said Hickory Handle Company with yeah. like some other little abbreviation on there. And I looked down at the very bottom. And I'm like, this wood's maple. 
Yeah. This is sugar maple. This is it's got the chitoyancy and everything of sugar maple. This looks nothing like it's the old McDonald's trick. You yeah. just call it grade A beef. Hundred percent beef. It's the name of the company. It's yep. not the rating of that beef itself. And I just took them back. Every Hayes hardware I've been to, except for the one in Wyoming, and I think it's because out there they still have guys and girls that work in the US Forest Service and stuff. Yeah. They need good quality axe handles. Mm-hmm. So that's like the only place I found other than like just outright ordering from an actual axe handle company. And there's the, I, when I've looked on YouTube and seen about doing ax handles, there's a lot of small market makers Mm -hmm. these days who are just pumping out handles handles by themselves, guys who specialize in making like, just like all the guys we know who make beautiful canoe paddles and knife handles and and everything. They're making nice, cool, really dimensions laminated with yeah. different types of wood i've seen those really yeah, nicely yeah. oiled and everything that they're they're great yeah you have to order them from those kind of guys who like they make them by For hand living. each of them it's not just on a lathe mm-hmm. mass produced it's all mm-hmm. hand carved selected yeah and when movies, we yeah. and when we talk about those axe companies that are like the higher quality axe companies Grantsfors, brooks comes to mind council tool they also sell handles as replacements yeah so you can always look if you have like that's kind of a point towards the concept of like buying new is you get a grassroots brocks or a council tool velvet cut or even like their regular axes um you'll find that they often have handle replacement options mm-hmm. will they be available is the big question and will you be able to see it in person? Because I've spent some time mm-hmm. going through the display of Grantsfors Brooks yep. axes handles and the, like their complete axes, looking at the handles, and most of the time they're really well made and everything. Mm-hmm. But then you find one, or else you order it online, yeah. and the ones shipped to you, are like, oh god, I wish I was able to see this in person first yep. before <laughs> clicking. Order, and, and that's another point towards synthetic is there's going to be a consistency. Yeah, there's going to be very few inconsistencies, and often mm-hmm. if there is an inconsistency, they've repl- they've uh, caught it, uh, done their uh, recall mm-hmm. at the shop level, not even yeah. to yourself, and then those handles have been replaced. They pump the handles back out on the new heads. It or, takes, sorry, pump out the heads with the new handles. It takes the OCD out of the selection process when you're yeah. at your store. You're not having to hand select each one. You're you're picking up. You know it's going to be as good as the next one and the one after that. Mm-hmm. So it's just tried, tested, and true. Yeah. It's going to be your workhorse. Definitely. It, you're not going to have to worry about replacing it anytime soon. And when you eventually do, you just buy a new one. Yep. As much as we hate the throwaway economy these days mm-hmm. and just well, making things, but these will last. Like you said, you've had yours for eight years now. At least. At least. <clears throat> so think about that investment. You probably bought it for $100. I think I got it for years ago. Like just uh, over, like I think like 112 or something. And just yeah. to put into perspective, folks. I cut more wood than most people do. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a sawyer. Like I'm not running chainsaw yeah. more than anybody else, but I'm cutting wood more than most we've people. We ran years of sugar bush yeah. with that axe. We've I mean ran, the tree that we cut down at Moz. Yeah. All the trees that we've split, <laughs> bucked and split, all the fire keeping you've done. Yep. This axe has been put through many lifetimes yes. compared to the normal axe. It yeah. is a working axe. I, it's you rarely will hear me put my name on anything and endorse one specific product. This is mm-hmm. one of them because like, yeah. damn, it is lasted. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, Oh no, I broke the neck guard. Oh, well, I yeah. guess I have to now beat up the indestructible mm-hmm. handle. Darn. Yeah. <laughs> what am I crying about? 
And at the same time, I don't, I haven't seen too many polymer felling axes. Not too many of that sort or any of those stuff. I yeah. feel like it's made for the construction, the yeah. hardcore, yeah. made to beat up sort of yeah. tasks like a splitting mall. I think a year after they put out their splitting mall, Fisk was like, "Oh, what if we just modify the head and make a wrecking hammer?" Yeah, and it became like the big. I have two. It's just a blunted edge. Yeah, they, the- <laughs> they just took the splitting mall and ground it to like a blunt fist. Yeah, and it shatters concrete in seconds yeah. like i've used it to destroy a lot of stuff and you go to construction sites and you see at least one on the job site of every job site these days yeah. they've got miniature versions bigger versions like they they caught on real quick that they designed a really tough yeah. freaking tool and again if you have someone's teenage son comes along and they're wanting to play with someone's axe for the first time i'm not handing them my 200 plus dollar wooden handle axe mm-hmm. that's hand forged in sweden mm-hmm. or anything mm-hmm. i am handing oh yeah what take the fiskers take take it take the it. polymer handle it's a great truck axe it's yeah. a great just all around like that's the one you it's also like another value is like when we're talking about the price that's an axe that you can leave at your cabin yeah and if someone robs you oh well it's you're still gonna be mad yeah but you're not gonna be as hard up to get replace that axe as if you had your hand finished swedish axe head that was put onto a beautiful hickory handle that you're like oh, i'm just gonna leave it at the cabin this year i'll be up there like two or three times this winter and in that same train of thought it's not gonna rot yeah that's a great you point can, if you're leaving it out somewhere that it's in the elements or it's even out with woodshed. the moisture levels and the air that are fluctuating yep. Like what happened with my little cold steel trail hawk. Oh, yeah. That I was refinishing the handle, sanding it down, making the head fit a little better after I removed the paint and everything and doing a little custom job on it. I sanded and scraped the handle with the lacquer that they had on there. Mm-hmm. And it sat in a garage for a season, unfinished. And I came back and now it's a rabbit stick. Yeah, it's completely. <laughs> that's a great, great description. It's curved. It's curved. <laughs> I'm like, it's perfect if that was a, um, what are they called? The hewing axes, for yeah, the broadhead. The broad axe axes, yeah, the broadhead yeah. axes for for doing log work, but it's a tomahawk. Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> when I, you showed that to me, I just thought in my head, what in the. Now I know which direction Ryan hangs. To the left or the right, he hangs uh, to the right. Yeah, must be. But yeah, I have thought about all the ways, like, oh, do I steam this? Do I boil it or something? And then put it in a vice? And The next time it gets humidity, it'll just bend right back to the same exactly, place again. Because I was like, oh, I was just going to scrape it and sand it and make sure the head fit perfectly and there was no shoulders left by mm-hmm. the fit tomahawk fit. And I was just going to oil it after that because we both prefer an oiled finish yep. on our axe handles. Definitely. So, yeah, it was a bit of a bummer. It really, really was. Since um, you can't just find tomahawk handles anywhere, but they're straight and yeah. easy to build on your own. So it's, I'm a bushcrafter, so what am I talking exactly. about? So. <laughs> and that comes to the benefit of the, of, the ha- of the hickory handle or the wooden handle axe is... A Fisker's axe can break. Now they yeah. often describe them as indestructible. Yeah, I don't want people to truly believe that all yeah. the time. 
Yeah. My Fisker's splitting mall is not the same as most of the other axe handles from Fisker's. Yeah. And I've seen in my lifetime three break. Yeah. None that belonged to me because I was never a believer mm-hmm. of Fisker's until I pretty much got this mall. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not true. I had a couple of their smaller tools, some bill hook, little machete things. The ones you see me hanging around the sugar bush. Yeah. Um, I've had those since like 2013. And those kind of turn me on to them and then i got that fisker splitting mall in 2016 and fell in love with the damn thing mm-hmm. um but like i've seen the x7 i've seen one x7 break and i've seen two of their splitting axes break yeah all of them under extreme duress it wasn't that they were crap handles yeah. it wasn't that they were lemons it was the owner beat and i'm gonna say it beat the living shit out of them until they failed and i kept these are friends of mine that i was like trying to give advice like hey maybe you should split like this it's that classic where they get the log wedged in the axe head yeah flip the axe head over and smack it off the chopping block yeah and they do it on an angle mm-hmm. and because they're swinging like maniacs with a top heavy weight yeah so it tilts it to the side at a 45 and they mm-hmm. smoke it right handle first into the wood and just shatter and crack it mm-hmm. and it's like yeah i was trying to stop you from that okay yep, yeah you just did that yep that's <laughs> broken now uh, the X7 was under extreme duress in extreme cold. It was a minus 45 event. We were on a course at minus 45, and the student had their axe, and they beat it into a log, trying to split it in half to get their fire lit. And instead of, you know, making some wedges, tapa, tapa, tapa. No, they yeah. just wailed on it until they had their head literally snap off. Yeah. Just completely delaminated the, not delaminated, de- decapitated the axe. Yeah. So when they do fail which is possible under extreme situations, now you're axeless. Yeah. And that's like the one real redeeming quality of a wooden handle, in my opinion, is the wooden handle, yes, it can break, but it can be replaced. Exactly. And that's like the main, also the feel to it, I guess, and we can get into that as well with hickory handles. Mm -hmm. Um, When it comes down to, for me, what's the real selling point is the fact that I know how to rehang a head. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, at the Global Bushcraft Symposium 2019, I showed people how to hang a head improperly and yeah. burn the handle out of the head <laughs> and do all these crazy things. And it was fine mm-hmm. because I knew what I was doing. And we used a green piece of poplar for the handle yeah. and all that stuff. Um, you can get by and you can break rules with axe handles in an emergency that are wood. Mm-hmm. I don't really know of any way in the field to reattach a Fisker's axe or any other polymer. This is not me busting on Fisker's or throwing shade at them. Any polymer handle axe that doesn't have a eye. Yeah. I don't know how you'd rehang that. Well, it's even been a mystery to us how the head is actually hung on those. Some of the, some of them they're hung like a wooden handle is. But like with the Fiskers where it's just kind of wrapped it's around the sides around it, and on yeah. the top and whether it's a, I'm assuming it's a full from front to back. They tell you not to hammer on the back yeah, because of how it's exactly. attached and everything. So. It's a very thin band of what I can tell is injection molded. Uh, I believe it's glass reinforced nylon. Yeah. And that makes me nervous. Mm-hmm. I, I know that I've got one buddy that showed me the head after it broke out. And what he did was he fixed together a wooden handle, basically Fiskers. But he did it at home with very powerful glues, very strong binders, mm-hmm. and a bunch of shop tools to make it yeah. perfect fit. And he's like, there, there, my, my Fisker's axe is back into action. 
And then a month later, because he had made it like a celt axe, like the old stone axes, yeah. the cheeks were narrower than the handle. And sure enough, all that work he put into it mm-hmm. shattered the handle again. So that Fiskars was cursed. Maybe this is a little test idea that we can run through. We'll purposely break a Fiskars axe to see if we can repair it in the field mm-hmm. to see it that way. Because there are a lot of new things coming out from those companies in Gruber. We found their newer... Yeah, the Nordens. The Norden, the Fiskars Norden, which is yeah. a mix. It's a hybrid. It's, yeah, it's a hybrid between the wooden handle and the polymer top. And it's really cool looking, but I'm very nervous with this axe. I want to know before I ever really... because <clears throat> I'm nervous because of the price point. Yeah. Um, it's like, I think when I was looking online in Canada, it was around $337. For, yeah, they have like three different models. Yeah. I think they have a smaller hatchet that's comparable to like the X7. Yeah, and... yeah. And I don't know how they fit. Yeah. And that's the, like, I would, I, if I, like, I trust Fiskars because they've done amazing work so yeah. far, but everyone's made a lemon before. Yeah. So I don't know how that polymer portion of the handle fits the wooden portion of the handle and how those are fixed to the head. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm, I'm, I, we've, we spent time tonight because apparently it's been out for about three or four years now. Yeah. We spent at least 30 minutes looking online each. Mm-hmm for any breakdown of how does this handle come together. Yeah. And even their own material, like their own social media and their own ads had nothing. Yeah. There was nothing explaining how does this handle go together. So I'm to believe that the handle is wood all the way up to the head. Yeah. Inside of the polymer portion. Mm-hmm. But then there's a little ferrule between of, of metal, whether it's aluminum or steel, I have no idea. Nobody yeah. says just as metal. Just a little coupler band. Yeah. So it kind of just seals that gap. Yeah. And keeps and it nice and tight. Is the wood at that point ground down with a shelf there, like a 90 degree shelf to click into all that? If there is, that's a stress point in wood, which can really easily make it break. Did they grind it down real thin or shave it down real thin to fit the polymer? We can't find anything about it. Yeah, I'm not sure because it just seems like your basic overstrike guard. Yeah. And then where it meets, just coupled there and with a piece, piece of metal. Yeah, but they're blended well. And yeah. that's like, I'm like, okay, then mm-hmm. what's going on in there? Yeah. My, my one thought was like, did they affix the head to the handle with a slot and then over, uh, what's it called, injection mold over that? Mm-hmm. That'd be great because yeah. that's a really tight bond right there. You have three points of contact and everything yeah. else. But if it's just a tapered handle slotted into the polymer what's holding those together yeah that's my concerns for an axe that costs more than their other brand uh, their other models fiskers wants us to send us one to take apart with a band saw hell yeah circular saw miter saw whatever we want we, to just we have apart. all the power tools now let's do it <laughs> we will do it for you we'll make a video and we'll put it on our social media of cutting one of these nordens open So yeah, the other beyond Norden axes having the hybrids, you also have just straight up wood handles that we've been talking about already. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we've said, they, they can break, but they're fairly easy to replace uh, mm-hmm. and fix yourself if need be. The other big benefit and really the only other benefit I care about is the comfort of those handles. They're mm-hmm. very warm to the hand, especially in the cold. Yeah. Um, I almost always, when I'm splitting wood in the wintertime, have to wear gloves with my... Uh, with my um, uh fisker's uh splitting mole i have to wear gloves that a the rubber rubs Mm -hmm. cause cause hot spots causes blisters yeah wood even though it's harder than the rubber 
isn't as prone to blistering and more forms calluses on your hands pretty ra- pretty rapidly. It depends to whether you have an oiled finish or a varnish, varnish or something finish. on it. And both of those are believers in just straight up oiled handles. Yeah, from canoe paddles to axe handles. Yeah. It's, I always find it's the best feel. You still get that wood feel. Yeah, the traction. Instead of feeling if you have a plastic outer coating on mm-hmm. it that's just sticky. And... Yeah. And that's like where we both picked up Wook's axe, uh, axes through Ben Bouchard, uh, who's on the podcast a couple of seasons back. Uh, we both got some Wook's axes, the Fortes. We yeah. got the 24-inch, and I think I have a 20. I think you have a 28-inch handle as well. I think there are 22-inch handles for right. the originals, and right. then they released a 28. 28. Yeah. I'd love to see a splitting, like a felling axe. Yeah. has like a 32-inch handle from them. Yeah. But uh, I immediately took off all the coatings they had on there. Yeah. I hated it. <clears throat> there was that black paint that had like a very shellacky feel to it. Yeah. It was almost like a, uh, like I don't like I can't explain it better, but like it filled the pores of the wood so much that it felt like I just had a plastic handle. It felt so smooth. Yeah, <laughs> it would just slip in my hand, and like I just the, like I can't do this. You get the old timers who will take a rasp to their handles mm-hmm. to specifically rough it up before then they oil it and mm-hmm. possibly put a little beeswax on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I love that feel of wood. It feels like a good purchase of the hand. I never wear gloves when I'm swinging with a wooden handle, even in the cold. Yeah. It just feels better. Um, and when it comes down to the wood handle, that comfort to me is a big deal. And it becomes much better in the cold. In the summertime, it's just as good, but in the cold, having that extra just warmth and insulation of the wood yeah. handle, it just feels right. It feels yeah. good. It feels safe. It feels secure, but it also feels comfortable to the hand. Mm-hmm. And you can build up uh, a callus pretty quick instead of building up blisters like rubber handles can. Yeah. But again, you got to weigh the pros and cons. Mm-hmm. If you know how to replace handles, if you know how to make handles on the fly, go ahead. Carry a wooden handle. They're also, depending on type of handle, they can be lighter than other options. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't think the Isocore handles are much lighter than my wooden handles, but those Fiskars regular handles like the X7 mm-hmm. has, much, much, much lighter than a wooden handle. It all comes yeah. down to depending on what you're using and what brand. But yeah, the wood handles are a good option if you know what you're doing with them. Well, just even on the replacement, like talking about the Wooksax, oh, yeah. how it's a tomahawk fit head. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so you don't have to worry about wedging it and drilling out the hole yeah. later to get it replaced exactly so it's it's a i like the tomahawk style for just replacing on the fly mm-hmm. you just need to make a tapered handle yep thicker at one end thinner at the other yep. it's a pretty straightforward process to making a tomahawk fit definitely the and the other two things like when i mentioned to ben like hey like you guys gotta make like a 32 inch handle goes or you just go get a mall handle and shave it down yeah oh good point yeah, that, that yeah. solves that problem there. <laughs> Made me feel like a complete tool when I said that out loud to him. <laughs> but the other benefit of the, the, that tomahawk fit is you can carry the two handles. And now you have yeah. a smaller axe that can do certain tor- chores for like just mm-hmm. splitting kindling, getting things done around the camp. We don't want to carry a big bulky thing. But when it's time to start wailing on wood, pop out the handle, yeah. pop in a new one, get to go. So now you're technically carrying two axes yeah. for the weight of just two handles. Mm-hmm. So that's a big selling point to me on the Wooks Forte. And uh, I hope to see a lot more axes of that style coming out because mm-hmm. I really do dig that tomahawk slip fit. Yeah. What other handle options are there beyond polymer and wood? 
that can be considered indestructible or of, of use to people in the bushcraft or homesteading I communities? Th- I think the one that people are used to mostly seeing here in North America is brands like Estwing or mm. Eastwing, however you pronounce it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, there's the metal because it's a top, like the blade and head is forged. From one as piece. As well as the, the neck and everything. Yeah. It's just one piece forged and then it's welded. Yeah. To a handle. I believe that metal handle is hollow as well because it kind of thickens out and it mm-hmm. has that hollow kind of feel and then it has a rubberized grip on it. Yeah. At least for the E45A, I believe the model is the Camper's Axe 26 inch. I've watched you do crazy things with that axe. Yeah. Like those logs that you cleared on the yard <clears throat> when I was away for a weekend. Yeah. You're like, oh, well, I don't really want to run his chainsaw without him. I'm yeah. just going to chop through them with this axe. <laughs> and I came back and I just saw these logs cut up. I'm like, what'd you use? My S-Wing. Really? Yeah. That's what I had. Okay. That's impressive. It's my beater felling axe. It's got a very aggressive knife point yes. edge. Very thin. So it can really chop, make a really good chop on a log. Mm-hmm. And you can just take out huge chunks when you're... It's, it's like really Locking thin. Like, and that's yeah. the beauty of being a one piece because it doesn't have to yeah. be attached to a handle. They made that thing as knife thin as they wanted to yeah. and just had a bit of a flare for the pole. Yeah. Like it's a really unique design. Mm-hmm. And S-Twing has a lot of different varieties of them. You have hatchets, you have full-size axes, mid-sized axes, double-bit hatchets now and yeah. tomahawks that they're calling as well. Yeah. Uh, all those are made of that same concept. Some of them have the rubberized handle. Some of them have stacked leather like a K-bar knife. Yeah. Uh, which I think is better in it's my a opinion. Classic hatchet yeah. has the stacked leather handle. Yeah. yeah, I prefer that over the rubber again because rubber rubs, and yeah. I'm used to the stacked leather on a knife handle. It's more comfortable. It's mm-hmm. warmer. The other benefit to all these options of rubberized handle versus leather handle, they're all great. The big benefit there is they're insulated mm-hmm. for that winter time because if that was a solid yeah. steel axe with a solid steel handle, yeah, your hand is going to stick and frostbite real fast. Well, I think even reverberation is just. Mm-hmm. I think. The hollow metal shaft of the handle right. with the rubber on top of that, you do Ooh. not really get too much of that overstrike reverberation Good point. stuff. So, yeah. And just to how aggressive the neck of it is. Yeah. It's a very thin, just like their hammers. Yeah. That it's just, yeah, you're not really getting a big old chunk taken out of it. Definitely. Or just anything that can really transfer the vibrations to your hands. That's a really good point. It's a really well-designed concept. And there's other companies out there that make similar mm-hmm. things. Uh, you go into the, the tactical tomahawk world. Mm-hmm. There's like 15 different companies making their own variations. Yeah. Wenger makes one. Wenger, Wenger, I can't remember what his name is. Mm-hmm. Dave Wenger, I believe. Um, Ryan Johnson Tactical or RMJ Tactical was the guys that kind of like pioneered the tactical tomahawk with steel handles. Yeah. And then they just affix micarta scales to them. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes they're injection molded yeah. into a hand like, like the S-Wings. Um, phenomenal axes that are unbreakable. I think the story from Ryan Johnson that really kind of put his tomahawk on the, on the map was uh, a Marine unit got basically stuck in a concrete building by a sniper over in Iraq mm-hmm. couldn't get out there was only one entrance and only one exit and the sniper was there so the one guy that had an RMJ tomahawk mm-hmm. chopped through a concrete wall mm-hmm. with his tomahawk's uh, spike pole yeah and made a 
big enough egress that they could get out and flank the guy and get themselves out alive. Mm-hmm. And it ba- effectively saved an entire Marine unit. Yeah. So I wouldn't take my Husqvarna axe with a wooden handle to a yeah. concrete wall, regardless <laughs> if it had a fireman spike or not on the back. Mm-hmm. That immediately won a lot of people over on just indestructibility. Yeah. Like that design of a steel head on a steel handle, one piece makes a lot of sense on durability. Yeah. Um, comfort, splitting skills or splitting ability. It can kind of, again, you, you lose some, uh, some traction there. You wouldn't want to use it for bushcrafting and carving no. and it's not made for that. Exactly. It's made just to work. It's made to strap to the side of your ATV and take totally. on trails if you're clearing and yeah, it's, it's meant to be a companion with a chainsaw totally. and just anything you need it to be and sitting in a shed, yep. sitting on the back of the ATV. It's ready there. I've never seen the weld fail on the no. S-Wing before. I've never seen anything like that. I've seen the shafts bend yeah. and stay bent. And then I've seen the owner go, oh, well, and put it between two cinder blocks and jump on it until it straightened itself. Yeah. Not my recommendation on how to straighten that handle, but it worked. Yeah. Um. No, these things are in like th- these these S wings and other steel shaft axes are very very tough, durable. They're they're what I look at like mill spec kind of stuff where it's just tough enough to do the job. Yeah, and they don't break very easily. And you got to do a lot of stupid stuff to make yeah. them fail. Uh, you could put them in a woodshed and just grease them with some Vaseline and leave it yeah. there for three years, and it's not going to rust yeah. away on you. And I've had them rust, and it's just a little bit of surface yeah. rust, and I take a little bit of vinegar to it. Yeah. And then just scrub it down, then oil it up afterwards, mm-hmm. and it's good to go again. They're a no-nonsense tool. Yeah. Totally no-nonsense. Are they comfortable to use for all tasks? Not really. And it's but, right around the $100 price point again, too. Good. So it's not going to be comfortable for the finer stuff like we want to do. But, again, it's like an X-Acto knife versus a carving knife. Yeah. On and off on so, Locust, yeah. that's the kind of axe you want to have. Yeah. Like it's going to not give up the ghost on you very fast. And so it comes down to the head profile again. You're not going to want to use stuff like the E45A for any splitting. It's not going to be your one does all sort mm-hmm. of axe like some of the other ones. That's another thing I like about the Wooks. Yeah. Is you can do some splitting with it. Very it does have splitting. aggressive. I bucked with it. I've split with it. Yep. This one, just with how thin that profile is. Yep. You, you, you're just going to sink it into the wood. It's not going to want to eject and split it out. Yeah, it's going to bite right in. Yeah. Ryan is the owner of the very first Wooks Forte to touch Canadian soil. Really? Yeah, because yours came out of the box first. Nice. We were the first two people in Canada to have them. So you you pull out the very next day, what were we doing? Bucking a hemlock. Yeah. And you were beating the tar out of that thing. Yeah. Very impressive for mm-hmm. an axe. Again, with, and that's another score to the Wooks axe when we're talking yeah. about axes we like to carry it's my trapline axe it's the axe i take with me along a lot of my camping mm-hmm. trips it's a heavy head it's just under three pounds mm-hmm. and it's very blocky like very big but that makes it beneficial for splitting firewood mm-hmm. it's very beneficial for pounding into into stumps and stuff to bust things open the benefit of having that kind of tomahawk slip fit head is the fact that there's no pinch point of a, of a wedge to cause a fracture mm-hmm. and because of how that axe has been has been designed it's more like a pickaxe. It's more like a cuttermatic or uh, a pickmatic. All those kinds of tools that are used as prying and chopping and busting tools. So it's a very durable handle for wood. 
ass swing is still tougher. Yeah. Like it's in the at the end of the day, one solid piece of steel is gonna beat mm-hmm. hickory attached to steel. Yeah. It's gonna win. It's like a crowbar with a sharp edge on it. Exactly. Like a wrecking tool. It's exactly it looks like something that came off a construction site. It looks 100%. like a hammer, twenty six inch long handled hammer that's been flattened <laughs> into an axe. Exactly. So it's great for that sort of thing. And like it's got it's Every single one of these tools that we're talking about have their merit. This is telling us, this is us trying to remind everybody there is no one tool to do everything. Mm-hmm. It's okay to have an axe collection, regardless of what your spouse might argue you with. Yeah. They might be like, you got 15 axes. Yeah, but these other 15 I'm ordering right now will get all the other tasks done. Mm-hmm. Then we'll have 30 axes that can do 500 different jobs. Yeah. So I'm helping you right now, folks, just before the holidays. <laughs> buy those axes. Get them all get them all and get them all yeah (laughs) yeah so when it comes down to wood hickory uh, sorry wood uh steel polymer they all have their merit they all have their benefits diving deeper you can choose different kinds of brands different kinds of heads different kinds of this different kinds of that uh in the world of axes there's a whole lot more variety in the wooden handle category just because there's so many axe makers Mm -hmm. but there's decent polymer handle companies there's decent steel handle companies there's new stuff coming out on that side of things every day there you can find tons of hand forged Mm -hmm. blades beautiful ones nice bearded axes all the styles you can scroll on etsy for hours and see these small time blacksmiths what they're working on yeah and all that but they do like even i'm finding every time i walk into a department store check out their axes, check out their knives. Like I found that Gerber the other day mm-hmm. and like Gerber has a deal with Fiskars on some of their axes because yep. Fiskars like the X7 and stuff, it's the exact same thing just with a green color scheme rather yep. than the orange, but it's the exact same black polymer handles and heads exact same. And yep. it said, even says fix Fiskars on the fine print yep. of it. So that one, the, Gerber bushcraft mm-hmm. axe. I'm not sure if that's another thing that's developed by Fiskars. I or don't not. know. So, because it's a little more rugged than your usual Fiskars, it's got the rubberized handle and it's got the hollow core the same as that, but it's made to be used like your Rambo style knife where the handle holds some survival items and. I'm just looking it up right now to confirm the right one. That's a, the one, yeah? Yeah, it's a slightly, it's a bent forward. Interesting look. Handle, it's got a bit of a hollow point. Like yeah. Going sideways through the axe as well. and Yeah, it's got a lot of attributes to it. The, the head I wouldn't really describe as like going back to like what is a bushcraft axe? What's an axe you perform bushcraft with? I wouldn't describe that head as a bushcraft axe because it looks real chunky. Yeah. It doesn't look like you'd be able to do a lot of one hand carving of a paddle in a situation. Yeah, I'm not sure. Like, I've seen some videos and it does some good job with I It's made for making shelters, I think. Okay. Specifically. So I think it's how a lot of these days oh. it's interchangeable use of the terms bushcraft and survival. This, so okay, so I'm wrong survival. here. There's two features on the head. I'm so for folks, this is like my second time ever looking at this axe. Ryan yeah. brought up with me like over a year ago. 
this no, it was like like a couple of weeks ago. I was in Canadian Tire in Bancroft. Oh, Ontario. you're right. No, no, we brought we talked about it a year ago because we'd heard of them, but that was the okay. first time you saw one. Uh, yeah, I saw one yeah. for the first time ever just a couple of weeks ago. I'd never. So there's you know. two different edges on the head. Yeah, it's there's got... a splitting and a carving. So I just saw a photo of a guy from Gerber using it to carve something. I was like, how is he carving with a splitting yeah. bit? And I realized he's using the beard. The beard is thinner. Yeah. For carving tasks, that's a yeah. unique idea. Yeah. That's novel. I'm going to check one of these out and actually play with it soon. So what's cool is such an old tool that there's new developments. Yeah. People are still getting wild with their designs. And on, on that note, we have the Agua Canyon company yeah. who have come out with their axe. That's a, I think it's the axe 24 or something like that. They were yeah. calling it um, just hit Kickstarter over the last few months. Uh, our friend Cody from trust and timber had one with them when we were filming together I got to play with it. I'm not fully sold on the design. Mm -hmm. And this is not, I'm not trying to throw shade at Agua Canyon. I, it's the same kind of vibe I get with their, with their saws where I'm like, mm -hmm. there's a few too many moving parts for me to want to trust this thing yeah. on a backcountry trip for a long term. Mm -hmm. um, mainly that there is a prying tool. So the, for those of you that haven't seen the uh, Agua Canyon axe, it's a very unique design. It's a very unique concept. And I do like the look of the head. Like the head was working really nice when we were out yeah. there. Um, my issue was strictly over the handle attachment point. And mm -hmm. Cody showed me like, you cannot really make these clips come off. So like the handle extension piece is arguably safe. It's got like a four or five inch tang yeah. that fits into your other handle. And then these very heavy spring clips that were very, very durable. Mm -hmm. I was sold on that. Like I agree with it. I don't think it's going to come apart easily in a situation that you'd be using this axe. Yeah. It's the then detaching because those spring clips mm -hmm. are so damn strong. You have to have this special pry tool. And that's what lost me. It's like that little pry tool could easily get lost in the bush on you. Could you use your knife? Oh, man, I don't know if I'd want to. Uh, I don't yeah. know if I'd want to be messing with that. These yeah. are such heavy spring clips that really? I'd be like, okay. I'd be kind of worried. I wouldn't be worried about breaking the knife. I'd be worried about cutting myself trying to do the damn job. Yeah. Um, you could do it. I think with a Leatherman or another multi-tool that you have like a pry, uh, pry tool, whether it's a, the flathead screwdriver, actual prying tool in yeah. there. I think that would do it just fine. Yeah. Uh, I just don't like putting an edge. Whenever yeah, I'm true, yeah. fiddling around, especially in the cold and the wet, and like I'm trying mm -hmm. to pack this away, it's time to leave. Yeah, and I punch myself into the freaking <laughs> artery, sticking out the other side of my forearm. Yeah. Um, it can be done. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. I just don't like that idea, just for safety's sakes. Um, I think that they got a. If they could design that prying tool to be affixed to the sheath permanently, so it doesn't come out, yeah, and you could just use the boop, pop over the pop That's open the idea. clips. Yeah, I like that. I think I'd be a little bit more sold on it mm -hmm. because it didn't want to give up on us the whole time we used it. When we were comparing yeah. it to the Wooks axe, it was chopping just as securely as the mm -hmm. Wooks axe was, and that's a polymer handle. Yeah, that's a full blown polymer handle. And again, I was not sold on that. Because I was expecting from the photos for it to be like those cheaper splitting mall handles that yeah. we see that are blue or pink or orange. Yeah. No, there was a pretty tough, resilient polymer, whatever they were using. It was reminding me of Fisker's and its durability. Mm -hmm. I'm just not a fan of how they detach and how yeah. you have to pry it open so hard. The prying open hard is what makes it secure. It's the prying tool and its ability to be lost mm -hmm. that makes me, I don't like things like that.
Yeah. Where I have like, oh, this spring clip, if, if it goes flying off, the entire tool doesn't work now. Yeah. That kind of stuff always makes me nervous with backcountry stuff. But this is a prototype stage. They're just getting off yeah. Kickstarter. I think it's now, you can pre-order it now. I don't know who's manufacturing it for them because they're, I don't believe they're doing it in-house themselves. Uh, but it seems like a unique project that I'd like to see if about four or five years down the road, how all these people who are using them say how they feel about them. Yeah. And that's kind of like the fun part is like, as you said, cutting edge, yeah. like that Gerber bushcraft ax, it's cutting edge. And then this thing came along. Yeah. We're on a very interesting, uh, road. I'm liking the trajectory of it all because yeah. just for my like everyday carving and every, I, the, nothing's going to replace wood in that sense mm -hmm. of just your classics and something totally. you just love to use and just using those antique tools and mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. But I do love the idea of a composite handle Yes, for the long-term survival situations Definitely. where you don't want, you're not going to worry about having to replace the handle, mm -hmm. spending a day while you're trying to get food and yeah. everything else sorted out. And, and now this happens. And now you're sitting there just carving away a new axe handle <laughs> while you're trying to get yourself some game or totally. work on your trap line totally. or anything like that. And we've seen these kind of trajectory or these kinds of ideas heading in different trajectories. Zippo came out with an axe saw combo yeah. and it was terrible. Yeah, absolutely terrible. Uh, Marbles put out the safety hatchet way back at about 60, yeah. 70 years ago. Good idea. Uh, the newer Marbles ones are not as good quality as they yeah. were. It was like, have you ever seen those with the safety hatchets from them? I don't know. I might know it if I saw it. Okay, but... it's it's a wooden handled hatchet that's only about, okay. I'd say, 9 to 10 inches long. So it's like a pocket hatchet. Yeah. And inside the wooden handle, there's a guard that... Mm pivots out and goes over your edge. It's just a steel little guard that comes out. I think out. I might have seen this. Yeah. It's a brilliant design. I had one of the original ones. I gifted it to Nick Dillingham years okay. ago and regretted it ever since because I freaking <laughs> love that thing. It was the perfect size to have in your back pocket when you're tracking your traps, things like that. You need, oh, I got to cut this piece of wood. Or I got to snip this branch. Or I got to cut mm -hmm. that leg off. A little butchering tool, whatever it needs to be. It was perfect. You just literally fit into most pair of pants mm -hmm. back pocket. It was great. Yeah. But those little like novel ideas, and then you get to the Zippo one where it's like, oh, I'm now going to have a Sven saw blade yeah. that attaches to my my axe face, my axe bit, mm -hmm. and now I have to hold the axe bit, which is a big chunk of steel yeah. to, that's got a sharp edge on it facing down towards where my hand's going to be as mm -hmm. I saw into a log poorly. Yeah. It was a terrible idea. Mm -hmm. uh, you look at the old days, like the 50s and 60s, which is like the silver age of camping the golden age being like when abercrombie and fitch and you had like uh colonel townsend whalen and uh horace kepper talking about camping and promoting these ideas of buying new gear that's good quality gear for specifically camping that's your golden age the silver age like the 60s 70s when nylon and the origins of like military surplus all that stuff started yeah. to come out of the, out of the woodwork you see some creative things coming from like case mm -hmm. the knife company who would have a beautiful axe Leather stacked handle, similar to the S-Wing, yeah. with a hunting knife attached to the same scabbard. Okay. Similar to that axe saw combo you got. Yeah. Or you'll see like those military axes that would double as like a shovel and double as like a pry bar and double as this and that. Okay. These are interesting mm -hmm. directions, trajectories are going in. And then you get things like the, the, the Sven saw Zippo thing. Mm -hmm. We've seen innovation happen in the past and it kind of fell flat. And then we've seen innovation explode. Like the lever axe is a good example of falling flat. 
a lot yeah. of people liked the idea of that lever axe that came out in the 19, uh, 19, wow, 2014, 2015 era mm-hmm. until everybody realized it only works on straight grain wood. Yeah. If you have a knot in there, you're screwed. Mm-hmm. How are you going to get this to pry apart? That's all innovation. Mm-hmm. It's all the, the failures, the ideas. They have to happen. There's no bad ideas when it comes to it. Yeah, and you test it out, happen. it either sticks the landing or else it's forgotten about just exactly. to be brought up on this podcast. <laughs> exactly. So I'm liking where we are now seeing like where Agua Canyon's going, seeing where uh, Gerber is going, where Fiskers is going with stuff. Because we're talking about like that Norden Axe, we're talking about that mm-hmm. Gerber Bushcraft Axe, the Agua Axe. We may be seeing some really cool changes in the axe world in the next five to ten years. Yeah. And that makes me really excited. And now this is even more, this talk is motivating me to search out those other companies that are coming up with other designs, just the innovation See that's happening. Not so right in front of our faces with mm-hmm. the big companies that have all the marketing and all exactly. the, all the stores to sell other stuff. So yeah, when the, that Agua axe came out, it literally was one friend of ours, Salim mm-hmm. reached out. He's like, have you heard about this axe? I'm like, no. Yeah. And then a week later, Cody shows up with that axe. Like, mm-hmm. let me see that thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, this is interesting. Yeah. This isn't. This is bad, but everything else is good. Where can they do this better? We should contact them and let them know that this is how to do it better. Yeah, because I don't want like again. I'm not trying to throw shade at Iowa Canyon. I like their brand. I like mm-hmm. what they're trying to do. I want to work with these folks. I want to mm-hmm. see how things can be done better. Mm-hmm. And so I'm loving where this like you said earlier i'm loving where this trajectory is going i'm excited for the future with axes i'm a very cynical guy for the most part and Mm. this kind of like this last two three years of the axe world of seeing new ideas is kind of giving me hope for that part of my life Mm -hmm. because you know me i fucking love axes we're axe men yeah we're axe junkies like flat out just like the facebook group Mm -hmm. it's it's one of my passions is axes and to see part of one of my passions growing when we're so used to say people saying saying things like there's nothing new under the sun you're just reinventing the wheel yeah no these guys are saying screw wheels we're going to tank treads now Mm -hmm. (laughs) they're going in a completely different direction i'm excited yeah you're starting to see a lot more military looking axes Mm -hmm. and stuff that's made to look like it's going to be shot by a 50 bmg or (laughs) you can withstand it and you can Still can, chop down a tree with it. You can drop a nuclear bomb on this and then split wood in the in the doomsday that you'll be living in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's cool to see. Definitely. So yeah, again, it comes down to what you're going to be using the axe for, what your expectations, whether it's your beater, mm-hmm. whether it's your beautiful mantelpiece of a beautiful hand forged Swedish or Finnish axe. Totally. Or if it's, yeah, you're on a homestead and it's just another tool to get you through your day, providing safety and warmth to your family. 100%. So yeah, you're going to be getting the composite handles, your metal handles for just your all around beaters. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be carving too many beautiful spoons with a composite. Even though I've done it before, I've used my little tiny baby Gerber Fiskers hatchet. Oh yeah, I remember that As a spoon carver before. But it's not my preferred one. I have my Grand's Furs. I have all the other fancy hand-forged axes for that sort of stuff. Definitely. So, yeah, that's what I typically use my wooden ones for is my crafting. 
if I just want to feel like I'm connected to the old times mm-hmm. and if I'm beating it around just around the property yeah. and I can afford to break a handle then and there and now, mm-hmm. but it's not something that it's going to be happening. Oh shit. Another handle, another week. God damn it. Yeah. And now it's turned into a thousand dollar racks with all the replacement handles. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> the, the, for me, the, 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 selling points are if I'm going to be letting other people touch the ax and yeah. use it, I want them to have something that's going to not make me cry when I see them swing badly. And something that they're not going to worry about breaking. Exactly. Because whenever someone hands you there, oh, you're no. like, Oh no, I am not going to, I don't yeah. want to accident. I've never broken one before, but today's going to be the day that yep. it happens. And it's only two seconds of misjudgment can become two hours of repairs. Yeah. So tough handles, that are not necessarily the most uh, the most you know nuanced, detailed, mm-hmm. finesse tools, are for those beater jobs. If, whether mm-hmm. it's us clearing ice on a trap line, yeah. pole set, or it's giving it to a student, mm-hmm. that's the kind of axe. If it's something for where we're having our pleasure of being out in the outdoors, mm-hmm. wooden handles. If it's a family heirloom, some like a it's a piece of art. Mm-hmm. Some of these tools, so totally. something that you can take care of and cherish. Hand down to your son or daughter. Definitely. Yeah, it's those if, types. If For those of you that are hunters, look at the axe in the direction of like your beater axe, whether it's a polymer handle or a S-wing or whatever style handle that's just considered tough. Compare that to like a polymer handle or polymer stock pump action 870. Yeah. You're going to beat the tar out of it, beat it up, mm-hmm. hurt it, abuse it, misuse it. It's going to get scratched and dented. And then you throw in the gun locker at the end of the season with a little yeah. bit of grease. Mm-hmm. Whereas this wooden handled axe that could be hand forged in Scandinavia, mm-hmm. Ukraine, wherever, America, Canada, whoever's making the axes, because there's custom axe makers and blacksmiths popping up all over yeah. the place. That's more like your $5,000 ebony teak wood combo 338 Lapua or 30-odd-6 or 35 Marlin that is a you got passed down to you by your granddad Mm -hmm. that is now worth all this money because it's got like mother pearl inlay and all this other crazy stuff put onto it. The caliber is such a rare caliber. That's what Mm -hmm. those axes are. Those are the ones you bring out for your pleasure to Mm -hmm. use with yourself in the right times. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily what you're going to use to punch a hole through the ice in the lake. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily what you're going to use to, you know, like chop up real crude stuff. that's all knotted and twisted and you're going to have over strikes and everything else, or it's not something you're going to pass off to your 12 year old nephew yeah. and tell him his only safety lesson, which is the same safety lesson that I got on my first time getting an ax from my father when I was eight. Mm-hmm. Don't cut your effing leg off. And I guess there is an environmental angle on it too. True. Wood and metal will revert back to nature eventually. That's the head true. will rust away. The handle will rot. Mm-hmm. Whereas the plastics and petroleum products and everything, it's totally. kind of going, we're at a tipping point right now. So Definitely. it's going to be... Definitely. Whether we're what we're finding out new technologies in charcoal and plastics, carbon fiber, and all, and all these other things. So, and I've had the, the only devil's advocate, not even devil's advocate. The only like response I have to that is what I've heard when one guy argued that his grandfather's Brooks axe was very near zero carbon, and I was like, you know, they don't have hickory in Sweden, right? And he went, what do you mean? Like they shipped that from Tennessee. Mm-hmm. 
They had to ship that wood all the way to Tennessee, make it into a handle. Or if they didn't just order directly, his handle's already blanked out. Mm-hmm. Make it to the head and then ship the axe to Ontario. Yeah, That's a pretty big carbon footprint in that way. The only difference is it's not the oil industry that a polymer handle can yeah. be. And a handle that's never going to break down and just eventually sits there, disintegrating the microplastics. microplastics but yeah, huge it's big just going to be just more garbage to go on the pile. Hundred so. percent. That's why I like find local. Yeah. You, you sometimes you're going to find a blacksmith in your area that mm. no one knows about, but he knows how to make a damn good axe because his grandpappy yeah. taught him or gra- taught her. Yeah. It's incredible. It's actually actually incredible how many axe makers there are out there if you look around. And so you can be very like local vor even yeah. if you wanted to. And you can go very, very far with that. Or you can go straight and be like, I want a solid steel S-Wing. Give me that. Yeah. Give me that right there. I just need to throw it in the back of the truck in case I've got to chop, chop a tree off the road to the homestead. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with any of these. The answer here is there's no right answer. They're all right answers. Mm-hmm. It all comes down to what you need it for. Yeah, exactly. So with that. Thank you for joining in with us, folks. Yeah. Ryan, thank you for sitting down with me because it's been oh, too man. damn long. I've been waiting so long for this <laughs> with this whole move and going on. Oh my God. I've got people messaging me. I'm like, I am dying to get back. Yep. You created this, what, going on three years this ago? This is our fourth now? season. We're four, fishing four, our fourth yeah, season. We're four years now. Yeah. Damn. We, yeah, we've been doing this a while. Yeah. And it's been a bit of a break, but. Yeah. Coming back to hit the ground running. We are swinging hard, just like we are with our axes. Yeah. So, folks, thank you for joining us tonight on this episode or whatever time of day you're listening to this to. Thank you so much for joining us. Those of you that are over on Patreon, Dragonfly Nation, thank you so very much for what you do to keep the lights on here, keeping these dogs satiated so they don't try to eat us in our sleep. <laughs> we appreciate you keeping the lights on here with a whole lot more content coming your way very, very soon. Keep in touch with us and, uh, through our email, canebushcraftpodcast at gmail.com. Go over to Patreon. If you want to be part of Patreon, go over to patreon.com slash canadianbushcraft. You can find a bunch of articles there, a bunch of content over there, and a bunch of other kickbacks coming your way down the pipeline, especially in the new year, especially now that we have classes back yeah. up and running. By the way, folks, there's classes back up and running at Canadian <laughs> Bushcraft. Go over to our Facebook uh, we'll also be having on Thrivecart very soon, full registration ability on there. Check it out from our Facebook. Keep an eye on there. There's a bunch of events already on there with the Thrivecart account coming up very soon. Probably by the time this episode loads, we should have a Thrivecart account ready where you can just register and not have to go through any rigmarole of trying to get a hold of us to get the registration. Oh, yeah. So we're going to be running a lot of courses in 2024. We are yeah. both chomping at the bit of this it yeah. is finally finally happening mm-hmm. after all these years of when are we gonna do this yeah <laughs> when's this gonna happen uh, ryan crying into my arms me yeah. crying into his shoulder <laughs> we need to teach <laughs> and we're back to teaching folks so check it out on our social media you'll be hearing a lot more on social media in the next couple of days next couple of weeks next couple of months tons of events coming out we're hitting the uh, ground running. And you even got a contest now. We do have a contest. It's running until December 31st. You're yeah. right. Uh, with Chris Outdoor. So go over to our Instagram. Are currently on our uh, backup account, canadian.bushcraft.2. Uh, at canadian.bushcraft.2. Over at Instagram, you'll see the uh, the contest. It's up there pinned on our top of the, the profile. Uh, you can win either a knife or you can win a three-day bush, basic bushcraft course with me and rye so check that all out right now get over there do it come on go 
or go over to patreon.com slash bushcraft throw us some money for as little as a coffee a month we're even cheaper than all those like <laughs> for a dollar a day for a coffee a day you can save this child in a random country that we actually take most of the money and put it towards our own promo promotional material we're cheaper than them it's only one coffee a month we're, we're very cheap with that. Just send us a coffee month, or if you want to get a bunch of kickbacks, go up even higher in the tiers. There's or if you want to be our sugar mommy or sugar daddy, we're open to this too. So. Yes. <laughs> yes. Or sugar anything. Like yeah. you can be whatever you identify as. We're good. We're down. Send us what you got. Except for inappropriate things. Do not send those <laughs> yeah. to the email. Just realize what I said there. I was about to throw my money. email to you for yeah. like e-transfers and Venmo. <laughs> money. And send whatever money you got to us. <laughs> uh, don't send any of those kinds of pictures yeah. that rhyme with Bic. Yeah. Um, please, for the love of God, do not send that to our emails or socials. We will report you or block you. Don't do that. <laughs> All right, folks. We love you very much. Thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, we will talk to you on the next episode of the Canadian Bushcraft Podcast. See ya. Bye.